0: Welcome to If Then, the show about how technology is changing our lives and our future. I'm Will Arimus.
1: And I'm April Glazer. Hey,
0: everybody. Welcome to If Then. We're coming to you from Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America.
1: We are recording this on the afternoon of Tuesday, January 9th and we are here at CES in Las Vegas, formerly the Consumer Electronics Show. It's the huge trade show put on by the Consumer Technology Association. On today's show, we'll be talking about everything we've seen so far and are writing about at CES. That's oh, God, I hope we're, we're hope not hope talking about, I
0: hope we're not talking about everything we've seen.
1: <laughs> okay, well, some of the things we've seen. It's a sprawling schmooze fest here, a real like kind of marketing product showcase extravaganza. There are about 200,000 people descended here on the city of Las Vegas to come to the event. It stretches across 11 massive venues, it's hard to even describe how big this is.
0: Yeah, it's insane and unmanageable, and everybody comes here and sort of hates it, but we come anyway because everybody's here.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you just you learn a lot about what's going to happen. I mean, there's been a lot unveiled here in the past that really was consequential, and that kind of happens every year, right, Will?
0: Yeah, that's right, and sometimes it's hard to tell in the moment what the consequential thing is. Yeah. We're going to take a shot at it, and on today's show, we're going to talk about a few things in particular. We'll talk about the big battle here between Amazon's Alexa and the Google Assistant, Uh, We'll talk about self-driving cars, cybersecurity, and Intel's problems, and robots, all kinds of robots, robots that keep your home secure, do your laundry, entertain your kids, launch pet treats six feet in the air for your dogs (laughs) to catch. Uh, We'll probably talk about a bunch of other random crap, too.
1: So I actually want to start out with the fact that we have a new guest here at CES, somebody that, or uh, rather a company that hasn't been here before, and that is Google, right, Will?
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a big deal because one of the knocks on CES for several years now has been that Apple always skips it, and Apple has been the biggest company in technology for a long time. Or the
1: biggest company in the world, actually. <laughs> the
0: biggest, that's right, the biggest company <laughs> in anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but not only that, but because it's mostly a gadget show, or has been mostly a gadget show, then the big internet companies skip it, too. And so, you know, in this decade, the biggest tech companies besides Apple are Google and Facebook. And they are software, not hardware. And so they don't come either. And so all the cool stuff happening in tech isn't happening here. That's beginning to change.
1: Well, I would disagree. I would say a lot of the cool stuff in tech is happening here. It's just that the big kind of juggernauts decided that they could skip it. And they kind of had their own product release launch schedule. And and But that's starting to change because Google is getting into the hardware space.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so Google is trying to compete with Amazon's wildly popular yes. Echo devices. And it has its line of, of the Google Home smart speaker. Yes. And now it has a Google Home Mini and a Google Home Max. And it announced last night, actually, that it is taking on an interesting strategy. It's going to partner with like every electronics company in the world to try <laughs> to put Google Assistant on everything. Right, like you're, you're Not just smart speakers, but there will be more smart, smart speakers, um, but also smart displays. So this right. is sort of like the Amazon Echo Show where you can actually look at a screen and touch stuff mm-hmm. on the screen in addition to talking to it. Um, what else? What am I missing? Well,
1: when, when you say partner with everything, what do you mean? You mean like different companies to get kind of the Google AI assistant inside their devices? Because Amazon did this, right? Like you can put an Alexa inside a, a mirror. I saw a smart mirror the other day that had Alexa in it that I could talk to which I didn't like, <laughs> you know. I've seen toys with Alexa in it, small robots with Alexa in them. Um, is Google taking that route? Is that what you're saying? First
0: of all, I agree. A talking mirror is just creepy. What was the Disney movie with the? T- <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's like I don't know, Snow White or something. I don't know, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I should know. But but is that is that the ele- uh, the approach that Google is taking?
0: Yeah, no, that's. On. I mean, that's a good point, right? So both Amazon and Google okay. are doing this, where they're trying to put their voice AI in like every product mm-hmm. in your home. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason for that is because the these AIs work by getting to know you like they want to know everything about you they want to know what time you wake up in the morning like Mm -hmm. you know when you when you cook dinner what time you like to buy stuff so they want to be
1: in your refrigerator they want to be in your doorbell they want to be in your camera or whatever you have like watching your front door you know they want to be in basically any electronic they can get into right
0: that's right and so now what's happened is that coffee machine (laughs) yeah coffee machine I saw a smart couch I saw the
1: smart couch, too. What do you think of the smart couch? I think it's... Uh, I think I'm smarter than it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so, so they're taking the same approach. And one thing that I think is really interesting about this is that it makes sense to me that Google has this kind of open philosophy with their AI because, I mean, look at Android, right? It's an operating system that can go on any phone except for the iPhone. The tension here, though, is that Google and Alexa are in this fierce battle, right? And they're not interoperable, you know? And so... I, I guess uh, I, I'm, it seems like, it seems like a little um, contradictory that they're trying to get inside everything, but then they don't want to work with everyone, particularly their competitors, right
0: Yeah, and it's, it's like really you can imagine a future in which uh, you walk into somebody 's house and you know half the appliances, the, the refrigerator and the TV and the trash can. Mm-hmm you have to call them Alexa. <laughs> and right. then, you know, the smart display and the, the sound system, you have to say, hey, Google. I mean, it's just, it's it's a mess in now, the making.
1: Now, this is one thing that really, like, this is kind of, so I'm a Star Trek fan. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned that yet on the show. But, you know, one of my favorite things about Star Trek is that they just talk, they say computer, you know, and then the, you know, Earl Grey tea is poured for the captain. And um, this is kind of moving into that future a little bit. And, I'm still struggling to find just to like zoom out a, a bit like the purpose of this you know is it really necessary for me to talk to my mirror to find out the weather is it like that much more helpful than just running over to my computer and seeing like the five-day forecast which is even more helpful right like I'm still trying to understand the utility in all of
0: yeah, I think the companies are still trying to figure that out too.
1: I think so too, and I've spoken to people uh, with both companies who, you know, said that it, that this is not a, a; these are not devices that people need, you know, in any way. Like like the smartphone has, we've really become dependent on it, you know, or or you know, every house has to have a TV, you could say, or has to have a computer. But but the assistant, I don't see that argument yet.
0: Yeah, and and I think that that. This show is, like, is a good chance to start to try to figure out where it makes sense and where it doesn't I'm make sense. I'm open to
1: it, yeah. I just ha- I, for me, I haven't found a use case where I'm like, I need that.
0: So I can say that as a, as a parent of a mm-hmm. small child, mm-hmm. I find the smart speakers, at least, incredibly useful. Because sure, your hands are that. never free. Mm-hmm. And you want to just be able to shout something out and have it you know, play music or right. set a timer or whatever. Um, but, But whether we find that same kind of convenience in talking to our refrigerator, I'm a little skeptical. I mean,
1: it reminds me of like, remember when car stereos used to have a remote control that you could like use and it was like, okay, or you could just move your finger literally four inches and press the button.
0: Yeah, (laughs) those those remote controls were really useful for one one thing, which is that they were useful for... um, Getting lost. (laughs) ...for thieves who would see them in your car and be like, oh, there's an aftermarket sound system in here, I'm going to break in.
1: Right, right. And so, I mean, I feel like this is kind of akin to that at this point, but maybe it's not. I mean, obviously there is some utility there, but for a lot of it beyond just like finding out the weather or asking it to play music or to you know, some like small question. I'm, I'm still not convinced of the utility. Yet. So moving on, it's, it's not just smart speakers we're seeing. We're also seeing all kinds of autonomous vehicle technology and not just ones that are going to be hitting the streets, but also ones that will be hitting the air. Um, if you can hit the air, that is. What, rather ones that will be flying. I'm talking about drones.
0: Hopefully not hitting the ground. Uh,
1: every year there are a lot of drones at CES. And speaking of hitting the ground, one company that uh, did make a huge drone debut uh You know, last year, not debut last year, but but rather had a drone that they were really excited about was a uh, GoPro, and they had their Karma drone. But that drone uh, didn't quite work out. It actually, uh, you know, suffered a huge recall. It fell from the sky uh, and had to uh, get completely recalled. Wait, and then, literally or, or metaphorically? Literally. The, the drone, when it was released, uh, had a problem with the battery hatch, and, and people who were buying it said their drone was falling out of the sky. That's super dangerous. <laughs> and uh, they had them recalled, and then they uh, put them back out again, and they weren't a hit because, uh, you know, people just weren't that excited i guess after the huge snafu and now you know gopro is scaling back and is you know potentially going to be put up for sale we're hearing um but beyond you know gopro's drone fails uh we uh saw a really amazing drone show yesterday at the intel keynote which i want to talk about a little bit more in a second but um but the intel keynote they they actually had a swarm or or a I guess a a, a gaggle, whatever you want to say of a hundred tiny drones called the shooting star mini that were flying inside the Monte Carlo. Yeah. What's the collective
0: Uh, noun for drones?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure, but these, these were like a hundred drones flying inside and they were doing a light show. Super interesting stuff. Um, It was really pretty. They, this was actually a spinoff of a technology that Intel had, uh, previewed a couple years ago, which was the regular shooting star, not the shooting star mini. Those drones were made to fly outside. Also performed light shows. They performed at the super bowl last year, for example, with lady Gaga. Um, And uh, these—they actually set a world record here at CES. uh, Intel did by having the most drones ever flown inside at once by a single operator.
0: This sounds like a really Um, smart way to distract from the fact that they have a flaw in every computer, every computer chip in the uh, world—that is a massive security risk that was exposed last week. And
1: that was the thing. So you know, Intel was hoping that that news would not come out until after their CEO's keynote. Are you
0: serious? They were trying to—they were trying to keep it quiet until after CES. (laughs) They were
1: supposed to. No, they wanted to release it on uh, January. 9th, uh, the information about it um, you know, yesterday, uh, but it, instead it came out a week early because of a report in the register, and for those who are not familiar with what we're talking about, we um, are referring to a fact that, uh, about a story that broke last week that detailed two massive security holes in Intel's chips. Uh, those security holes were named Spectra and Meltdown, and what they basically did is they allowed hackers to siphon off memory from computers and kind of open the doors to new attacks. Now, the problem we found out... Um, was just incredibly widespread because Intel's chips are in everything, right? Right. We really have a, a microprocessor monoculture, and that is that's that's Intel.
0: Yeah, and I think at least one, at least Spectre, maybe both of them affect other companies' chips as well.
1: Yes, yes, and so that's ARM and AMD. But uh, but the main uh, but the, the main kind of uh, company that or the the primary company that that is affected by this. It's Intel, and, you know, Intel, are, Intel chips are in iPhones and all Macs, you know, almost all cloud services, uh, data centers, and, you know, Apple and Microsoft and Amazon and Google have all been issuing patches to try to remedy this. Um, Intel said that by the end of this week, uh, they'll have a, a pat- patches on 90% of their chips out there. By the end of the month, they should all have patches available. Everybody should definitely update their software and everything they own. If you're getting a prompt to update, do it now. But the issue is that this is like one of the biggest security vulnerabilities. I, I you know, in, like the, to, to affect the um, in terms of the amount of computers and machines that it affects, you know maybe ever in a long, long time or that I can remember, you know? I mean, like almost every computer in the world is affected by this.
0: Yeah, there was an interesting thread uh, from an expert on on uh, the processor companies mm. on Twitter where somebody was saying that The issue is they've all been optimizing for speed and performance and size for years and years and years. And that has led to decisions about architecture, about how you design these chips that are not optimizing for security. And now that's sort of all coming home to roost. Can I just add that I love the names of security flaws, Spectre and Meltdown. Like Spectre is the one where it's in everything and it's really hard to it's exploit. The, it's more
1: the hardware focused one, right? But yeah. they also
0: don't know how to fix it, and we don't Not know quite. if anybody's going to exploit now, it. There
1: have been some patches that kind of like help to paper over this a little bit. That you should definitely download if you're getting prompted, like I said, to download an update. But it's true that um, that this flaw came, or that like they found these holes, uh, uh, it kind of as a result of uh, the increase in performance that. Um, that that they had put onto their chips. You know, they had been increasing the performance of their chips and they didn't uh, realize that that there were also kind of some places where hackers could easily step in. There was a New York Times article that described it as not necessarily as – as bugs because that they were working as they were supposed to but you can consider these security flaws more like windows or doors that you know that that, that um you know researchers realize that a hacker could walk into right yeah um and so uh what what was interesting here is that um the ceo of intel uh you know had to address ces yeah i was gonna this.
0: ask that so you were yeah. there at the intel keynote last night and usually this is a big celebratory moment for for Intel uh, they're always one of the big keynotes at CES I was elsewhere I was I was watching the robot that shoots dog treats in the air which we'll get to <laughs> later I hope but tell me how did Intel handle it and did anybody did anybody like stand up and, and try to get uh, Brian Kurzanich the CEO to, to answer for his uh, dumping of Intel stock after he knew about this problem
1: <laughs> well if they did then I uh, nobody could hear them um, but uh, but yeah we'll talk about that in a second but but one thing for sure is that uh, he didn't not apologize for this. He just said that the industry has been, uh, you know, collaborating well to fix this and said that this is a testament to how the industry can collaborate. Um, But he didn't, uh, you know, and one of the reasons why he might not have apologized is because they're facing multiple class action lawsuits um, about the way they've handled this. And, you know, one thing that you just mentioned that is important is that uh, it was reported after the, the flaws were reported that that he, the CEO of Intel, had actually sold about $39 million worth of stock, the most he could sell uh, from the corporate bylaws of the company. Um, and that might prompt some uh, SEC specula- or investigation. Yeah, that'll raise some Who eyebrows. Knows? It's definitely raising eyebrows, but, you know, it's, 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 it's certainly... Um, a curious move uh and and he, he he
0: couldn't have thought he would get away with this i mean it, it, like, i almost feel like
1: it seems too obvious yeah i yeah. almost
0: feel like he couldn't have done it for this reason because he would have so clearly gotten caught
1: you know and so intel saying that the stock sale had nothing to do with the security vulnerability but even
0: so you can't do that right but the
1: timing is just like no, it seems it, kind of weird or no I, yeah i don't, I don't you know do but it's a lot of money um and so, you know, beyond Intel uh, not apologizing for potentially, you know, making every computer in the world incredibly vulnerable <laughs> to hackers and, 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 you know, them trying to fix that and the drones that they flew, which was really cool, uh, despite the security flaws that they barely discussed. Um, what else have we seen here at CES, Will? And to be clear, this is only day one. The media got a couple of extra days uh, preview that, that we got to see.
0: Yeah. And one of the big things here at CES is, is not just listening to the big companies with their keynotes, but actually going around to the little booths with all the startups that have their crazy ideas for some product that's going to improve our lives in some tiny marginal way. Let's talk about that in just a minute. First, let's take a, a quick break.
1: Will, we saw some really kooky, potentially unnecessary, potentially necessary stuff uh, in the preview days before CES. What was something that really stood out to you as like very CES-esque?
0: <laughs> All right. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that I thought was extremely emblematic of mm-hmm. CES, and that is a robot that folds your laundry. Oh,
1: my gosh. I've seen that every year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they keep coming back. This was this was their second year, but there's another one that's been here a couple of years mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. This company is called FoldyMate. There's right. another one uh, called the Laundroid. And <laughs> they they're, they're trying to it. to solve this critical <laughs> problem in human society today where we have to fold our clothes after our, <laughs> after our washing okay. machines have, have laundered them for us. And it turns out that's an incredibly hard problem to solve, weirdly, for a machine because every garment is different, right? Like every The textures are different, the weight is different, the way you have to fold them is different. And so trying to build a one-size-fits-all robot that will fold all of your clothes perfectly turns out to be this incredibly complex technical problem. And so they came last year saying that they would have one by the end of the year that would cost $800, it would fold all your clothes, it would perfume them and de-wrinkle them. Ew. This year they're back saying, well, actually it's going to cost $980 and it's not going to be done until next year and it's not going to perfume your clothes That's and it's not going to de-wrinkle them. That's the thing ever. Yeah,
1: okay, and so next year they'll say 2020. Um, you know, it's true that uh, when it comes to home robots, the grabbing... Uh, function, the ability to kind of manipulate objects. Uh, it's just not there yet. I mean, most robots that, that that do grab, we'll see them in like a factory setting, you know, and they're just doing one thing over and over and over again. But when it comes to these kinds of situations where you're not sure what the uh, thing that you're going to grab is necessarily going to be shaped like each time, when there's a lot of variation, uh, you know, Honestly, robotic technology is really not ready for prime time like that yet.
0: Did you see any robots you thought were cool?
1: I mean, I think, first of all, I think all robots are cool. Um, I I uh, really have been fascinated by robots since I was a little girl. Um, but, uh, you know, one, um, one, one trend that I've seen is kind of a horde of these home robots that uh, are supposed to... They're kind of small and short, and they're supposed to entertain your kids, And like the Curry, for example, from Mayfield. And they're supposed to have cameras that kind of uh, secure your house so you can look on your phone to see what your Curry sees. Um, again, similar to the Google Home, I don't think there's really a reason for them. These robots can't go upstairs, okay? They're not the Rosie, the robot Jetson's vision that we hoped would, like, prepare our breakfast for us. These are just uh, little roving machines with light-up eyes that make your kids laugh until they're bored of them, that are super expensive, and also kind of act as fancy security cameras.
0: Yeah, and, and some of them are trying to have a bit of a personality, um, but my, one of my favorite moments of CES so far was actually... Um, yesterday mo- this sorry this was Monday at the media event of LG the big electronics maker mm. and they brought one of these cute adorable oh, little yes. robots up on the stage oh, yes. and their executive went to talk to the robot <laughs> and the robot just sat there, just stood there and just sat there and blinked back at the executive as the whole arena, you know, watched and and started to murmur awkwardly. And these kinds of fails are, and I think they're going to keep happening for a while because as you said, personal robotics um, are are just, you know, it's just, it's a ways off still.
1: Well, the purpose of these, these robots don't have arms. They like just have a screen, if even that, or they just have eyes that blink. And really they're just entertaining at this point. You know, they're early adopter fun.
0: All right, one robot that I actually thought was pretty cool, definitely not essential, is called the Pet Cube. And it is a robot that interacts with your pet in various ways. Among others, it can shoot a treat in the air for your pet to catch. You can actually swipe Angry Bird style on your phone to shoot it like two oh, feet or four feet or six feet. Um, it's, it's, it's dumb, it's funny. Uh, there's also one new feature that they're showing off this year and we actually have a clip of their representative telling me about that at the show last night. And you're working on a new feature that lets your pet call you? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so through pet detection, The Bytes camera will be able to detect pet versus human. And when it goes in front of your camera, it'll record a video and send it to the cloud. You'll then receive a notification on your phone that says, Hi, your pet wants to call you. And so you can either accept the call on the spot or view it later. Oh my gosh, that is so dumb.
0: (laughs) No, it's fantastic.
1: No, I love dogs, have a dog. I don't want my dog to call me. (laughs) I love my dog so much, I I get it, but no.
0: Yeah, so that's one of these products at CES that's solving a problem that doesn't really exist—that you know—that your pet can't call you and notify you on the phone in, in the middle of the day. Yeah,
1: that's a perfect CES thing. Um, you know, another good thing that I saw was—or not good thing, but kind of dumb thing. And this isn't this is by the way, this is not a smart thing. So I can say it's a dumb thing. The line Uh,
0: between good and dumb here, (laughs) by the way, is is very thin. uh,
1: Are these uh, boxers for men, obviously, um, that are supposed to kind of keep cell phone radiation uh, away from your crotch? Uh, The idea, I guess, is that you keep your phone in your pocket and that the cell phone radiation is bad for uh, your sperm mobility, which has been proven in medical studies. Um, So they created this kind of silver line boxer boxer briefs that uh, are supposed to kind of protect your area from your phone.
0: Yeah, you wrote about this and called it a Faraday cage for your crotch, is that right or something they like call
1: that. that? They but call yeah, it that. yeah, yeah. And uh and you know, and I asked him, you know, is is there uh any, you know, known studies about the negative effects of cell phone radiation on women's reproductive health? Because I keep my phone in my pocket too, you know, and I keep my laptop on my lap and and, uh, and he said uh, that, uh, you know, and the name of this product is the Spartan Boxers, that they, he wasn't aware of any. There hasn't been uh, much study of that. You know, it was an honest and disappointing answer. But, um, but you know, definitely kind of, I thought, noteworthy of CES, you know, kind of a reminder of a, a lot of things here are designed for and by men. Even a, a product that I saw called the High Mirror, which uh, was Designed for women, it's, it's kind of a smart mirror that analyzes your face and tells you where you have red spots or dark circles, okay. stuff like that, uh, how your complexion is looking.
0: And when you talk to it, do you have to say mirror, mirror on the wall? <laughs>
1: no, but I looked at it and it immediately told me where all the problems on my face were. And I was like, oh my gosh, Like I just walked off a plane. Like I know I have dark circles under my eyes.
0: You That's know, brutal. I, I can't believe the products at CDS <laughs> are, are dragging you at the exhibit hall.
1: Yeah, you know, and... I guess it was just a reminder that, you know, even though this was made for women, it's obviously trying to make me more attractive by some sort of conventional standard with men in mind, right? And so I thought, again, that was very... uh, a, a good kind of portrait of a, a lot of the technologies that uh, that we're, we're seeing here at CES. So this is
0: the male gaze shaping even products <laughs> for women. But there was one product for women that's, that's been sort of a hit here, I think, right? The Willow Wearable Breast Pump. Did you see that one?
1: I didn't see that one. What is that?
0: Um, so I think the idea, and I, I shouldn't go into it too much because I haven't looked at it that closely, actually, but it, the idea is that it's a sort of a smart breast pump and it can actually monitor your flow and how much you're getting. And this could actually, at least from what I'm hearing, could be really useful for nursing mothers.
1: Others. Yeah, you know, I think that there uh, is a lot of technology out there that really could um, probably help women in, in very specific ways, uh, and we, there's there's a lot of that here at CES, and again, this is just day one now, and we're probably bound to see that over the next few days as we continue to roam the halls. Uh, Any other uh, things you really stuck out to you, Will?
0: Well, for all the frivolous products here at CES, it has also become a really influential car show over the last few years. And the reason for that, I think, is that the car companies are really becoming tech companies. Um, The car is changing in fundamental ways for the first time in decades with self-driving technology, with ride sharing and ride hailing apps. Um, with all the ability to access your computer and your your phone from inside the car, to talk to the car. And so CES, I think in many ways, is probably now the most important car show in the world because they're not just showing off the latest body design. They're showing off like what is the future of transportation. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's not just uh, cars. It's it's companies that focus on transportation. So Lyft, for example, I plan on taking a ride in their self-driving car later today. Will, have you ever taken a ride in a self-driving car?
0: I never, well, okay, I should take that back. I've ridden in several Teslas with autopilot technology. Okay. And the way autopilot works is it's most of the self driving technology, mm-hmm. but it still requires you to be at the wheel ready to take over at a moment's okay. notice. Uh, the future in which cars can drive themselves without anybody at the wheel—everybody thinks that's still at least five years off. But tell me about this autonomous lift you're going to take a ride in.
1: Well, I—I'm not sure about it yet, but I have—I've ridden in a um a ton of, an uh, Uber's uh, Volvo, uh, kind of autonomous Volvo that they had in San Francisco. Uh, right, days before they uh, were uh, forced to quit <laughs> their self-driving car pilot in San Francisco. Uh, That's right, because
0: they, they did it without asking. Right, they just they they, they didn't have permission. In
1: the most Uber Ask way. <laughs> yes, they uh, they didn't have the right permission, but they they tried to barrel ahead anyway, and they and were quickly they, stopped.
0: And one of them barreled through a red light. And as And one recall. of them
1: barreled through a red light. Yeah. And the thing is, is that uh, the, with with self-driving cars, uh, you know, there's still somebody. At least when I was riding, in one at the wheel, there was still a monitor like like their hands were off the wheel um but they could jump on it if they needed to i mean we're still in this very early test phase where we have these kind of concierge (laughs) type people that are in the front uh you know and then somebody often in the passenger seat you know getting data on how it's going i mean this was it was driving itself but it was definitely not unsupervised
0: yeah and and what they're doing there is they you know the self-driving technology is already good enough that it could probably do about as well as humans do Mm -hmm on its own. But humans don't do that Maybe. well. And I don't think we would accept machines crashing as much as humans do, especially when you take into account drunk drivers and sleepy drivers and all that sort of thing. But so it needs to get to a place where it's significantly better than human drivers. And that's really hard to do because there are all these edge cases that can fool the machine learning systems, like that famous Tesla crash, mm-hmm. where the guy had his Tesla on autopilot on a, a Florida highway. And a semi-truck was making a left turn across traffic in bright sunshine with a white trailer and the computer vision system on the Tesla mistook it for an overhead highway sign because Mm -hmm. of the glare, the sunlight glare off the semi. So I've talked to a lot of companies here who are trying to address those kinds of edge cases to make sure that doesn't happen in this this hypothetical future where cars really do drive themselves Mm -hmm. without our intervention. But in the meantime, having a driver in front allows you to sort of teach the system uh, about how to deal with those cases, right? So if you have a driver there to take over in that situation, then the machine learning software can actually see what the human driver did and learn from that in a sense because it's it's software that is programmed to incorporate new data and, right. and let that change the way it operates.
1: We're literally, we're teaching the machines right now. Uh, what You know, one one minor thing on that, uh, there's been a lot of talk over the past few years about self-driving trucks, for example, and how that's going to really upend that industry that is uh, an incredibly uh, populated industry in terms of that there are a lot of people that 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 work in that industry now it's not the most populated industry in the country that's more like healthcare and retail uh, that's been misstated quite regularly but it is an industry where uh where you know there is you know automation is bound to happen the issue, though, also with, with the way this has been framed, is that there's still going to be somebody in the cab of that truck. So even though a truck driver it might not like have its uh, you know their traditional job, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be somebody there who can drive the truck, and that's going to be like that for years. Because you know when it comes to to off ramping a highway, you know, we're going to want an 18 wheeler robot that's not abs- like you know navigating itself into a truck stop. Right. right. There's always going to be someone there. So so it's not necessarily going to um, to upend people's jobs and in, uh, in exactly the way that we, we might imagine kind of apocalyptic scenario.
0: Right. I think there's going to be this long transition phase. I, th- I think that's right. Where where the cars will be able to drive themselves, but you'll still have to have a driver and the trucks. You have to. And it's going to be sort of like um, commercial airplanes are today, you know, where where you have to have a, a pilot and a copilot in the cockpit. But the machine can do most of the work, and the pilot's there to take over when something goes wrong. And of course, as we've seen, the problem with that is that uh, research has shown that pilot skills can actually atrophy Mm -hmm. as they stop having to do a lot of the manual flying. And then when they have to take over in the crisis, they're not prepared to do it. So that'll be a problem that we're going to be dealing with for a while, I think.
1: But the kind of long story long there is that this is going to take an incredibly long time to figure out. And I think that's actually a good place to wrap because there's so much more CES for us to explore this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can get updates about what's coming up next by following us on Twitter at IfThenPod. You can also email us at IfThen at slate.com.
0: You can follow me and April on Twitter as well. I'm at Willarimus. April is at AprilAzer.com. If you enjoy this show, please go to iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you listen and leave us a review. I know it takes a little time. It's a little annoying to have to do it, but it actually does a huge service to the show by allowing us to reach more listeners, so we really appreciate it.
1: If Then is a production of Slate and Future Tense, a partnership between Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Our producer is Max Jacobs.
0: And Max is going to have his work cut out for him producing this show with all the ambient noise here at CES. Thanks also to Ted Anderson at Northgate Studios in Berkeley. Our great theme music is provided by Doug Chase. We will see you next Wednesday.